I'm so excited. I love Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is one of my favorite Sundays of the year. I love this whole season. Number one, uh, next Sunday we're going to celebrate our one-year anniversary in this facility downstairs. One year ago, today was our last Sunday upstairs. And one year ago, next Sunday, was our first Sunday downstairs. So we're very excited about the progress and the development and the moving forward uh, that the Lord has done for us. And, uh, you know, Palm Sunday is a wonderful day. I remember when I was growing up, Palm Sunday was always a huge celebration. The church that I grew up in had a full orchestra, 52-piece orchestra, and a huge choir with like 100 voices in the choir. And there were choir lofts on either side of the platform, and then the orchestra would be assembled. And, and on Palm Sunday, the choir would process in from the back, waving palm branches, and there'd be 800 people in the house waving palm branches, and the choir would be waving palm branches, and we would start the service with the choir processing in from the back, singing, All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. And I remember the trumpet fanfares, and I remember it was just a glorious, glorious day. And to me, I always felt like it transported me back to Jerusalem on that day, that Palm Sunday, when Jesus came into the Mount of Olives. He came from the Mount of Olives riding on a donkey and riding into Jerusalem, and they laid their cloaks on the ground for him, and they waved palm branches and they shouted hosanna to the son of david and the whole story is filled with so much symbolism and so much beauty the palm branch was the sign of victory in the greco-roman empire at the in, in the olympic games uh the the winners the victors of the olympic games they would make them crowns made out of palm branches it was the sign of victory they were waving these palm branches at jesus and declaring you are victorious you are the conquering king you are the majestic lord and it was always such a wonderful time and that's why this place is decorated with palm branches i want to thank sean and carol dawn for doing a beautiful job with these decorations isn't it beautiful and the worship team just did a marvelous job of leading, into the, leading us into the presence of God. Give them a hand this morning. But most importantly, I'm so thankful for the presence of Jesus that's come to be with us here today. Our King has come. He's come to be with us today. Amen? I, I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 21. Now, now, here's the thing. If you come every Sunday on Palm Sunday, I will preach out of the same passage of Scripture I, I preach on the same text of Scripture. You know, it's funny. Uh, the, the holiday seasons like Christmas and Easter and Thanksgiving, well, not so much Thanksgiving, but Christmas and Easter and, you know, those, those holiday seasons, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, there's the same group of Scriptures is preached on every year. And so it can be a little bit hard for a preacher because you've got to find something new to say, say about the same thing every year. Uh, next week I'm going to preach on the resurrection. I'll just, I'll just let you in on that secret. Next week I'm preaching on the resurrection. Friday night, by the way, they did not announce we're having a good Friday service this, this coming Friday. Instead of our Thursday night service, we will not be having midweek on Thursday night. We are having Good Friday service right here in the sanctuary, 7 p.m. this Friday night. And so I want everybody to come to that. And I also just want to encourage you to re revive the Thursday night service in general. The, the numbers have been dwindling on Thursday nights. You need more than just a once a week uh, a, a little, you know, worship time. You need to come on Thursday nights and hear the Word of God. And we also have a very deep time of worship on, at our midweek services, so come. But this week, no Thursday night, Friday night, Good Friday service. Good Friday commemorates the day that Jesus died on the cross for our sin. And so we're going to be having a, a wonderful uh, service on Friday night for Good Friday. And next Sunday, 
uh, is Resurrection Sunday, and we're preaching on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 21, and we're going to begin at verse 1. When you get there, say amen. amen. Are you there? Yes. Sounds good. You guys are quick. This is what it says. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, Say to the daughter of Zion, Your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet, from Nazareth in Galilee. Verse 12. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. Let's pray. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus that you would speak to us by the power of your word. Thank you that you are coming to establish the order of your kingdom. We command everything that would resist that order to move right now in the name of Jesus. We assert the order of your kingdom. And we thank you that there is peace and safety in the house of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Most of you are experts on this passage. Why did Jesus come riding on a donkey? What does that symbolize? If a king came riding into your city, if you, if you looked up on the, on the mountainside and saw a king riding into your city with an army behind him, it was very important to notice what kind of animal he was riding, what vehicle he was using to ride into your city. If you looked up on the mountainside and saw a king riding into your city on a white horse with an army behind him, you better shut the gates, lock them down, get the army, pull out the archers, get the catapults, whatever you get and whatever you got, prepare to defend yourself because if a king comes riding towards your city on a white horse, it means he's coming to make war. But if you look up on the mountainside and see a king riding into your city on a donkey with an army behind him, you opened up the gates and welcomed him because the donkey was the symbol of peace. He came not to make war, but he came to make peace. He comes not to make war, but he comes as the prince of peace. And it's interesting that here, Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, but in the book of Revelation, he comes riding on a white horse. The day is coming when he comes to make war, but that day is not today. Today he comes as the Prince of Peace. Today he comes to bring peace and not to bring chaos, not to bring death. He said, the Son of Man came not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so he comes to save you, not to destroy you, to prosper you, not to harm you. He comes riding on a donkey. And everybody got real excited about that because they had seen his miracles. They had seen his ministry. They had heard his teaching. 
him. They saw that he taught like no other rabbi in Israel had ever taught. He taught as one having authority. And not only did he teach as one having authority, but he knew how to put his money where his mouth is. He didn't just say it, but he demonstrated it. He didn't just claim to have authority, but he demonstrated that authority by healing the sick, by raising the dead, by cleansing the lepers, by casting out demons, by calming the storm, by bringing money out of the mouth of the fish. He demonstrated his ability to provide. He demonstrated his authority to establish order and peace. So when they look up on the Mount of Olives and they see him riding down on a donkey, they said, yeah, this makes sense. We, all, we always had this suspicion that he was the Messiah, that he was the coming king that was coming to bring us freedom, to bring us liberty, to bring us life. We've seen his miracles. We've heard his teachings. Why don't we just go ahead and make it official? You know, there, there, there are a lot of people who flirt with Jesus, but there comes a day when you make the thing official, when you actually invite him to be your Lord and Savior, when you actually open up your heart to him. I mean, it's one thing to flirt with him. You say, I, I come to church and I, I hear his teaching and I see his power and I, I hear about him and I know what he does, but now it's time to make this thing official. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you had that moment that day where you made the thing official, where you said, now I'm going to open up my heart to him and receive him as my king and as my Lord. Amen. And so the people began to lay their cloaks out on the road. First, the disciples laid their cloaks over the donkey that he was riding on. And the cloak was very expensive in the ancient world. If you had a cloak, you had something. Man, it, was, it, was, it would get cold, you know, and, and it, the cloaks were very expensive. They took their expensive garments and laid them over the donkey so that Jesus could ride on them. And then the people would lay their cloaks on the road. It was like they made a carpet of cloaks. They said, you're too holy and you're too awesome and you're too majestic. You're too kingly for the hooves of your donkey to touch the earth. No, we're going to make a carpet of cloaks for you. It symbolized their willingness to surrender to Jesus the most costly articles of their lives. You know, it's one thing to ask Him to come in and be Lord, but then not release anything to Him. It's one thing to invite Him in to be Lord, but then not submit to His Lordship. Jesus is Lord of your life to the degree that you are willing to surrender your costly articles to Him. If you are unwilling to surrender anything costly to Him, He is not your Lord. It's lip service. But these individuals said he put his money where his mouth is. He demonstrated his authority. Now I'm going to demonstrate my submission. He demonstrated his love. I'm going to demonstrate my submission. I'm going to demonstrate my worship. How many know that worship that is just words is not worship? It might be praise, but it's not yet worship until something dies, until something is surrendered, until something is let go of. They said, I don't care if I never see my cloak again. I'm surrendering it to Jesus. And they laid their cloaks. And then, of course, they cut palm branches down from trees. They laid them on the road and they waved them at him, symbolizing his victory, symbolizing his kingliness, symbolizing the fact that he had conquered, that he had gone into the arena of sin and he had come out the victor and that there was no power in hell and no power on earth that could ever come into contact with his lordship and survive the, the engagement. Come on, somebody. And, and then not only are they laying their cloaks and their palm branches, but they're shouting and they're singing and they're praising him and they're shouting, uh, they're shouting Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna to the son of David, which means they are recognizing him as the king that was to come through David's line, the king that was to restore the Davidic kingdom to Israel. You know that when, when David was king, those were the golden years of Israel. 
David was the king that no one could stand against. Remember, when he was a little boy, even as a shepherd, he killed the lion and the bear. Even the lion and the bear couldn't stand against him when he was protecting the flock. Remember, when everybody was scared of Goliath, David was the one that went out and killed Goliath and brought victory to Israel. And David was the one who was undefeated in his entire life. He was never defeated in battle. Whenever he led Israel's armies out to war, it didn't matter how big the army that they were against, it didn't matter how great the threat was, David was the conquering king, and he was the one that no one could stand against all the days of his life. And so Israel felt safe under the kingship of David. You know the whole purpose of authority is safety? They submitted to David because they felt so safe under his reign. They needed a king that was able to lead them to victory. And when they found a king that was able to lead them to victory, they said, let's crown him. Let's submit to him. You know, when David first heard that Saul died, after a certain time he went to Hebron and his own tribe crowned him king of Judah. But he wasn't sure what the other ten tribes were going to do. And they all came to him and they said, you're our own flesh and blood. And they crowned him king of all of Israel. They were all ready to submit. Why? Because they wanted someone in leadership over them who could not be defeated. Because when your leader can't be defeated, neither can you. And so the whole purpose of authority is safety. The people of Israel saw Jesus coming on a donkey and they said, who better to lead us to a place of safety than this man who's able to open the eyes of the blind, who's able to open the ears of the deaf, who's able, who's able to cause the mute to speak, who's able to cast out demons, who's able to calm the sea, who's able to walk on water. Let's submit to him. And so they start screaming and they start worshiping and they start crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. Of course, the word Hosanna means save now. Save now. Son of David, save now. Do it now. We've been waiting a long time for this. We're ready for you to do the thing. Save us. And they cried out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we've got to understand, we've completely misunderstood the name and the, 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 the significance of the name in ancient Israel. We talk a lot about doing something in the name of Jesus, and we think it means doing it speaking the name of Jesus. As long as you put, uh, say a little, in the name of Jesus over it, then it, it comes with the authority of the kingdom of God. And it's not a spell. There's a lot of Christian witchcraft happening out there. In the name of Jesus, just sprinkle a little, just say it. Those are the magic words and everything's supposed to happen. The name of Jesus means the presence of Jesus. It means the authority of Jesus. It means the purpose of Jesus. If you're speaking something in the name of Jesus that has nothing to do with his purpose or intentions, you're out of order. And you're in the realm of Christian witchcraft. Because you're trying to use his name to accomplish something that you were not commissioned to do by him. But they saw Jesus and they said he comes in the name of the Lord, meaning he comes in the authority of Yahweh. He is the rightful bearer of the authority of Yahweh. Everything that he sets out to do in the authority of Yahweh is appropriate, it's right, and it's good. And Yahweh always backs him up. That's how you know. I've never seen him pray for something that didn't happen. 
I've never seen his words fall to the ground. I've never seen him speak something that didn't come to pass. I've never seen him declare something that didn't immediately take place. When he cursed the fig tree, it withered within a day. He comes in the name of the Lord, and we've seen that. Jesus said to his disciples, many will come in my name. Meaning many will come throwing my name around like, it, like they got something. <laughs> and I think if I just speak it a certain way, right? In the name of Jesus. No, in the name of Jesus. No, in the name of Jesus. No, in the name of Jesus. Uh, uh, ha, ha. <laughs> if I speak it a certain way, it's going to happen, right? If I, maybe I just got to say it more forcefully. <laughs> in el nombre de Jesus. So you got to know what kind of demon you're dealing with. You know, maybe it's a, a Spanish demon. <laughs> That's why it didn't come out. <coughs> but they said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's obvious he comes in the name of the Lord. He comes in the power and in the authority and the kingdom of God. Why? Because everything that he does works. God backs him up. His words don't fall to the ground. When he says it, it's done. It's sealed. It's signed, sealed, delivered. And it's yours. Amen. <laughs> now it says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowd answered, this is Jesus, the prophet. Oh, come on. Now we've taken a step backward. Now we completely misunderstand what this thing is about. First, they're declaring him the Messiah, the king, the coming, the, the king, the, the, the son of David. And suddenly he's back down to prophet status. Prophets always declared what is to come, never what is now. Prophets were foretelling. Jesus was not a prophet. He was more than a prophet. He wasn't coming to signal the coming of the kingdom. He was there to manifest the presence of it. <laughs> Jesus comes into Jerusalem and the people said, the prophet is here. The prophet is here, meaning maybe he's going to tell us what's going to happen. Maybe he's going to tell us when the Messiah is going to come. Maybe he's going to tell us when freedom is going to come. Listen, when Jesus comes into your life, he doesn't come to tell you when you're going to get free. He comes to set you free now. This is one thing that is missing in the body of Christ because as soon as God does a work in you on Sunday, you go home thinking, okay, I wonder when this is going to work. Or I hope it happened. And you're already in the realm of unbelief because the work of Jesus is always final and it's always finished. It's always done. But you walk home believing that it's not done yet. Or that it's part of a long process. Now don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean that you always get zapped every Sunday and everything that's wrong in your life is made right. You just go to church once and you get zapped. But it means that the presence of Jesus brings something now, not just the in, not just information about what's coming. Yeah. And we've prized the prophetic in the body of Christ, but we haven't understood the apostolic. Yeah. The New Testament age is called the apostolic age because it is characterized not by promise, but by fulfillment. When Jesus began his ministry, he didn't begin with the announcement that something was coming. He began with the announcement that the time has come. Yeah. 
The kingdom of God is here. The people were stuck in the prophetic. They were stuck in the age of waiting and wanting. They were stuck in the age of promise. And you can get to the point where you convince yourself that the fulfillment will never come, that all God wants from you is to believe the promise for the rest of your life, even though it will never be fulfilled. And that's what Abraham did. That's what the prophets did. And Peter says it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but us when they spoke of the things that have been revealed to you by those who have spoke the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It was for us. Theirs was the promise. Ours is the fulfillment. So they welcome him, but they completely misunderstand what it is that they're welcoming. A lot of people invite Jesus into their hearts. They invite him in, they welcome him, but they have no clue who they just welcomed. you got to count the cost before you make him king. <laughs> Welcome. And you come in peace. He's riding on a donkey. And they think peace means he comes to affirm everything in your life as it is. Because Jesus loves me just the way I am. You misunderstand the peace of God. The peace of God is violent peace. Is gangster peace. Is militant peace. The peace of God is weaponized peace. Is weapons grade. Watch what happens here. The first thing that happens when they receive the Prince of Peace... He came riding on a donkey, not a white horse, which means he comes in peace, and we think that means he's going to leave everything alone. Verse 12, Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Jesus went crazy. Imagine Sunday morning, Jesus is here. Oh, we're all welcome. And he comes and starts throwing chairs and turning over the drum set and turn it, flipping the keyboard and breaking guitars. He's sitting there going, Jesus done lost his mind. Jesus is on something. Man, the Lord done got roid rage or something. See, wait, wait, what happened to, look, I see, I could have swore there's a, there's a donkey tied up outside. Why is he tearing stuff up? Peace flows out of order. In the absence of order, chaos cloaks itself in garments of order and looks like peace. If you had two people living in your house that hated each other, but they just kept quiet and didn't talk to each other, it would look like peace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's no peace in that house. And as soon as the conflict starts to rise, there's somebody there to go, okay, calm down, calm down, everybody. Okay, let's just have peace. Let's just have peace, meaning stuff it. 
let's appear to have peace even though there's nothing but chaos in this house. And the first thing that happens when order begins to assert itself is that disorder is uncloaked. The first thing order does is goes to disorder and removes those, that, those garments of, of, of presumed peace. Pulls the cover off of it. And that's why order seems like it gives birth to disorder. It doesn't. It simply exposes the disorder that was already there. The disorder that was able to hide, that was able to pretend to be order, that was able to look like it was in submission. Everything was at peace in the temple until Jesus walked in. But Jesus said, this appearance of peace on earth looks like chaos in heaven. So I'm going to pull the cover off of it so that it looks on earth like it looks in heaven. If you want my will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, i got to pull the cloak on what you think looks good and show you what it really looks like in heaven. Lord, don't start messing stuff up. You look down and see an orderly system of money changers and people selling doves, and the father looks down and he sees robbery. And that's why, you know, a lot of folks think, you know, well, I thought when I came to Jesus, my life would come together. Everything fell apart. I thought things would get easier when I came to Jesus. It got twice as hard. I came to Jesus and I was, I was swimming downstream. What I didn't realize is I'd have to turn around and swim up against the current now. I came to Jesus because he was supposed to make my life better. He was supposed to give me more money. Now I go to church and they're asking for my money. He's supposed to bless my family and unify it and bring peace. Now everybody in my family hates me. Now I'm rejected by my whole family. Now I go to school and I'm the object of ridicule because I'm trying to take a stand for Christ. And what happens is that the order of the kingdom has come in your heart, but now everywhere you go, your very presence exposes disorder. And God has made you a contradiction. But not only that, but the presence of Jesus is breaking down walls in your own heart, tearing stuff up and showing you the disorder that you thought wasn't there. You thought everything was great in your life. Make no mistake, there's some money changers that need to be driven out of you. Some benches that need to be overturned. The peace of God is militant peace. Militant. Militant. Now watch what happens. Verse 13, it is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. So first he tears stuff up, and then he, he brings a rebuke. Verse 14, then the blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. He's trying to get to the healing service, but first he's got to tear stuff up. 
He's getting ready to heal the blind and the lame, the deaf and the dumb. He's getting ready to start healing folk everywhere. He's getting ready to re release revival in the land. But first, he's got to tear some stuff up. And it's not going to look good. It's not going to be pretty. Whenever you demolish something, it doesn't look pretty during the process of demolishment. And whenever God starts tearing stuff up in your life, it looks like all hell is broken loose. It looks like he's left you. Sometimes the moment he comes is the moment that appears to be the moment he left. Sometimes the moment he blesses you, it appears that he's just removed his blessing. Sometimes when he answers your prayer, it appears that he has refused you. But if you can hang on while he tears stuff up, if you can deal with a little bit of chaos. I was thinking about Asa's reform and Jehu's reform. Both of them established order in, in Israel, but they did so by killing a whole bunch of folk. I told Oscar, I'm going to preach a sermon one day called The God Who Kills. And the Spanish uh, subtitle is going to be Dios de la Cuete. reading about Asa's reform in Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapters 14 and 15. In Second Chronicles chapters 14 and 15, the Bible tells us that Asa became king of Israel, but before that his father was a wicked king. And it said in chapter 15, the prophet Azariah said in chapter 15, that for a long time before Asa became king of Israel, there was no, it says, there was, Israel was without the true and living God. Why? Because there was no priest to instruct. And the people were without the law. They were without the teaching priests and they were without the law. That is, the people were not willing to submit to instruction and they were not willing to submit to government. And it says in chapter 15, verse 5, in those days it was not safe. Wow. It was not safe to travel throughout the land of Israel. Why? Because the land was in chaos. Why was the land in chaos? Because there was no instruction and there was no government. That is, there was no government over the people to bring safety and to establish order. And so everybody did what they wanted. But Asa comes in and what does he do? Man, he starts breaking folks off. He starts killing folks. He starts wars. But what's on the other side of it? When everything comes into order, there's peace. Now there's safety in the land of Israel. And you've got to understand that when God starts tearing stuff up in your life, he does it for one purpose. He's trying to make you safe. He's trying to create a place of safety in your life. And the only thing that he's tearing up and busting up and removing from your life is stuff that would rob you of your safety, stuff that is dangerous for you, stuff that will destroy you. He said, I've got to break this up right now. Why? It'll destroy you. You know, when you open up your wall and there's asbestos in the wall, you can't just cover it up and pretend it's not there and, and make sure everything looks nice and you have a peaceful environment. There's something inside that wall that's going to kill you and going to kill you and your family. You've got to get a sledgehammer out and you got to start busting stuff up. And he's got to cut the asbestos out of your life and establish the order of the kingdom. And once that order is established, two things happen here in this passage of Scripture. First, the healing service begins. All of a sudden, the way is paved for the blind and the lame to come to him, and he begins to heal them. 
and all of a sudden revelation breaks out among the children and this antiphonal children's choir begins to sing Hosanna to the son of David Hosanna to the son of David and they're singing I mean imagine in the temple in the middle of this healing service this ad hoc I mean a bunch of children get together it doesn't say there was any adult choir director How'd you like to see that on Sunday morning, all of a sudden, a bunch of children just get together over here and they just start bursting into praises and singing praises. Just nothing's happening. Just no, no worship leader. The children are just singing praises and Jesus is healing at the altar. I'd love to be at that service. You want to talk about experiencing the presence of God? I'd love to be at that service. But it didn't happen until he busted some caps. This is the year of what? Not the year of busting caps. This is the year of renewal. And what is God doing in this year of renewal? Busting caps. You know what he's doing? He's breaking up the fallow ground in our hearts. He's breaking up the fallow ground in our hearts. He can't sow among thorns. There's some thorns in the soil of your heart still. Listen, your heart has to be engaged in order to move forward. Just like the gears of a car have to be engaged in order to move forward. Your heart has to be engaged, but your heart has to be engaged in the right direction. And many of you here, your hearts are still in reverse or in neutral. When someone says, let's pray, how do you feel? Ooh, do you back away? Does something in you just back up? It means your heart's in reverse. When somebody says, lift up your hands, when somebody grabs the microphone and commands you, lift up your hands. You know what it said in 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 14? It says, Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He commanded Israel to seek the Lord. Somebody has to command you and I to engage our hearts, to command us to lift up our hands, to command us to worship. Why? Because our hearts have to be engaged in order to go somewhere. And God is breaking up the fallow ground in our hearts. He's teaching us how to put our hearts in first gear and second gear and third gear and fourth gear so that when the Lord says, it's time to seek my face, my heart says, your face, Lord, I will seek. And remember the Lord said to us at the beginning of this year that if we would give ourselves to the process of renewal this year, next year he'll send revival. Revival. 